Hello and welcome back to Grateful Gwenna. I hope that you are safe and feeling how much our Lord and Savior loves you. He created you. He made you who you are. Okay, so enough about being preachy. Um, I have been kind of avoiding recording this for a while. Um, I know I'm called to write a book, and I wasn't sure whether I wanted or should or needed to share um, some of this stuff in my podcast episodes because I didn't want to detract from my book. And I've actually written the book twice, but the first time it, um, well, my old computer died and I hadn't backed it up, so I lost it all. And that was after God had woken me up in the middle of the night at 2.30 a.m. and had me change the entire thing. Also, I'm not really a fan of being vulnerable. So believe it or not, um, recording these podcasts are very much out of my comfort zone. I probably, I know I probably seem like I'm very comfortable with them most of the time, but um, <laughs> it's really not my favorite thing to do. But I'm walking or trying to walk in obedience and blind faith, and I trust God in what I believe he's telling me to do. And so this recording is very difficult um, because, well, for a couple of reasons, really, Um And I'm sure you can maybe relate to some of it or maybe know someone who can or maybe some of what I'm going to be saying resonates with you. Um, And I will just kind of warn you, I usually try to keep my recordings pretty short, but this one actually might be pretty long, possibly. Um, We will see how the Lord leads. Um, When I first started these recordings, though, Uh, I did them with a lot of planning and preparation and I would take notes and if I was interviewing someone, I would have all of my questions um, prayed about, thought about, prepared for and written down and recorded in a sort of journal I was writing and keeping for the podcast. But um, as I continued to record podcasts, um, I began to just feel, and be led to be led by the Spirit. So I believe it's the Holy Spirit that is telling me to record this podcast. And again, this isn't my favorite thing to do. I don't like being vulnerable, but if it helps someone, then even one person, then it is all totally worth it. And that is my hope, prayer, and desire is that, you know, maybe someone can be helped by something I say. And I pray and I trust the Lord that he will put the words he wants me to speak on my lips. And that they will come out in the words in this podcast recording. 
The second thing I'd like to preface this particular episode with is that I am just telling the truth, not my truth, because it's not my version of the truth. These are actually facts of what has happened in my life that I'm sharing with you. And I'm not sharing these things for anyone to feel sorry for me or anyone else. Because, like I've always said, we are all human, you know, and we all make mistakes. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And John, I don't know the exact reference, but it says, for if we say we're without sin, then we lie and the truth is not in us. Um, so I'm not recording this for anyone to feel sorry for me or to feel sorry for anyone else, nor am I recording it. I'm not recording it to feel for anyone to feel badly about or, or blame the other people that I'm sharing about. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I'm not trying to humiliate anyone. I am finally speaking out after basically an entire lifetime of abuse and, um, and, and me not realizing totally what was happening to me and God is still healing me. And I'm so grateful for that. And truly, if it weren't for God, I literally would not be alive today, at least a couple of times, actually three times for sure that I can think of, um, one, because of an attack on me physically um, many years ago. Another, because many years ago, um, fewer, but still a long time ago, um, I was feeling so desperate because of the severe abuse that was going on in my life that I was actually having suicidal thoughts and basically begging God to take my life and let me die. And um, thirdly, because um, uh, well, I sort of lost my train of thought a little. It's very late. Um, I had come home tonight and fallen asleep early and then I woke up and I've been awake ever since. So I guess I'm starting to get a little sleepy, but that's okay. But um, anyway, there are various reasons that God has just saved my life repeatedly. And I just would not be here if it weren't for him. And thirdly, and most related to this domestic violence podcast um, channel and these episodes here on Grateful Gwenna, because I'm grateful to God for how he spared my life and how he has blessed and protected me in spite of um, man's sinful nature, let's say, okay? Um, but the one that's related to this podcast is that um, I did almost die at the hands of my abuser, who was my ex-husband. And again, you know, it's taken me years to get to this point of healing. And obviously I'm still healing. I think my grandma said a good thing when she said, I'll be learning till the day I die. 
I think that we'll be healing until the day we die. So I'll be healing until the day I die too, I believe. And, and my physical body dies. Um, so again, I'm not saying any of this to embarrass anyone. I'm not saying any of this to humiliate anyone. Please, you've got to understand that it has taken a lot for me to get to the point where I can actually admit what has happened to me in the past because I'll be honest, it's embarrassing. It's highly embarrassing. But one of the things I've been learning is that most, if not all of us, we have something going on at home behind closed doors or in our personal lives that nobody else knows about. Um, we, we all struggle in one way or another because we are all human and we live in a sinful world full of fallen nature, right? We, we live in a sinful world full of fallen humans of which we are one of them. But thankfully, God loves us unconditionally and he delights in us according to his word. So that was a long preface to be about to say what I'm going to say. But I wanted to say that because I just, I hate pity and I don't really want anyone feeling sorry for me. This isn't about that, you know, and I've had people say before, well, I don't need to know, tell my story because God knows the truth. And that's fine. I respect that. But that's your opinion, you know, and I don't have to have the same opinion. And for me, this is where God has brought me. And this is what I believe God wants me to share. Not so anyone can feel sorry for me. Not so I can rehash what happened to me. Not because I want to live like a victim or any of the other things that sometimes people will say or think. But my motive is hopefully someone listening to this somewhere, God will use this to bless them and they can relate or they can see themselves in it. Or maybe, you know, the Holy Spirit will just use a word or a phrase to touch someone or to touch you or inspire you. Or maybe you'll hear something that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Or, you know, whatever God, whatever the Holy Spirit uses to hopefully help you or to help someone or to help you with to help someone you know who might be struggling with domestic violence, with being abused, with not recognizing being abused, with, you know, not realizing that they're not safe, with not, with not minimizing what's actually going on in their lives. So that is my hope, is that this will actually help someone. And that is the true motive behind my sharing my story. I really hope it helps someone because I hid it for many years. And I want to break the silence against domestic violence because most of us cover this stuff up. We cover it up because for our loved ones, we cover it up because we're embarrassed. We cover it up because we're scared. I mean, there's a whole plethora of different reasons why different ones of us cover it up. Um, we cover it up because we think we're protecting our families or we believe we're protecting our children if we have them. There's just, like I said, a plethora of different reasons we cover it up. But domestic violence and abuse loses its power when we expose it, when we bring it to the light. 
then there's an opportunity and chance for healing. But if we keep it in the dark, if we don't tell our secrets, if we don't tell what's going on with us, and it is not dishonoring a husband when there's abuse to tell what's going on. You don't keep that stuff private. You shouldn't. I did, and you shouldn't. And I'm not just talking about my husband. I'm actually going to get into, um, again, a little bit, I'm going to get into like the whole family dynamics. I have barely scratched the surface. So please grab a cup of coffee or a cup of hot chocolate or a bottle of water or, you know, an apple or whatever it is that makes you happy. Sit back, relax, and let's take this journey that the Holy Spirit is leading me down this road with you to take. So here we go. Okay. Um, so I believe, and I'm learning still at 52 years old, that there's a lot to this journey. That God loves us and he's with us every step along the way. And I've also learned that, like I said earlier, kind of we are all human and we all make mistakes. So please understand, while I'm sharing my story, it is the facts of what happened to me from my perspective and how what I've gone through in my life. I'm saying these things not to put anyone down, but I'm just telling the truth, okay? I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but, you know, I, I can't help that the truth might hurt someone's feelings. And I hope that this will help someone. So I'm going to start at the very beginning and I'm just sharing my story. Again, I don't want you feeling sorry for me. My hope is that it will, this will help you or help someone or you can use it to help someone you know. Um, and you might find things that you can relate to in it. There might be bits and pieces. And as I've grown older and started opening up and sharing my story just a little bit, I've learned and realized that many people, we can relate to each other in a lot of ways, more than expected. So this isn't your like sweet, kind Facebook or social media post where just everything's all happy all the time. And no, like that, there's a place for that. But this is not that place. So I'll start at the beginning. Um, my parents... Um, from what I've gathered from the two of them, they were dating or in a relationship, whatever it was. And from my understanding, from what they've said, and I'm not judging them, this is what I've gathered from what they've both said. My mother wanted to trap my father to escape her parents' home. Um, her mother was allegedly very mean and controlling and it sounds like domineering and her father, she kind of had around wrapped around her little finger, but he was an alcoholic, my grandfather and my grandmother. So my mother, um, was trying to trap my father to, so she got pregnant with me, but she got pregnant so that my father would marry her and she could get out of that home. 
And back in those days, the quote unquote right thing to do when you got pregnant was to marry your woman. So my father married my mother. And I don't remember much at all from those first five years of my life after they got married and I was born. I just remember that my parents, they argued all the time, like almost nonstop from what I recall. And they just fought all the time. Like I don't remember I only remember one peaceful moment between my parents before they got divorced. And um, it just didn't seem like a happy situation. And I see pictures of me with my dad when I was little before they got divorced. And it's just like so absolutely foreign to me. But I can tell from those pictures that I was his little girl, you know, I can see the love in his eyes and everything and like the way he's holding me in the pictures and everything. And my mom was absolutely gorgeous, physically stunning. Um, you know, she was model material when she was younger. And um, when I was five years old, um, my parents got divorced. I remember the night that my father, this was a different fight argument. I call them fights than any other because my father told my mother on a Friday night that she had better, you had better be gone. I'll be back Sunday night and you had better be gone when I get back. And he came back Sunday night and we were still there and he was livid. And I don't think my mother thought had thought he was serious. So I seem to vaguely recall, and this is kind of sketchy in my mind, like I don't remember it exactly, but I seem to vaguely recall that we were like quickly rushing around to get ready to leave, like packed up and ready to go. And then I recall that we moved in with my mother's friend, Joni, and my mother's friend, Joni, seemed really nice. And she had two teenage boys, sons, and one of them was 13 years old. And the next thing I remember, I don't remember much, but I remember um, Joni and my mom decided to go to the grocery. And they left her two teenage sons in charge of me, babysitting me. And... Back then, my grandma, my dad's mom, um, she, she was my best friend for many years. And she used to buy me dresses all the time and I would be in a dress. And so the day when Joni and my mom went shopping for groceries and left Joni's two teenage sons in charge of and babysitting me, I was in a dress. And those boys went and got, I don't know if it was a shotgun or a rifle, I don't remember, but they went and got this long, huge gun and told me we were going to play a game. Then they asked me if I wanted to see their private parts. And of course, you know, I'm five years old. I'm a little girl. I'm curious, naturally curious. And of course, I giggle and nod my head yes. And one of them shows me his private parts. And I remember 
like giggling and laughing because I'd never seen anything like that before. And then they told me to take off my dress. They had laid me on the couch in the living room and told me to stay there. And I mean, they were in charge of me and I had been taught, you obey your parents, you obey your babysitter, you do whatever you're told. But something inside me just didn't feel right. Like, it just felt wrong. And I remember at five years old thinking, what can I do to distract them until my mom and Joni get home? Like, I don't know what five-year-old thinks that way, but I did. And they, they were getting a little frustrated with me and impatient with me because I wasn't really cooperating. I was lying there what what like they told me to, but I wasn't taking anything off yet, you know. And so they grabbed the gun and they pointed it at me and told me to take off my dress. I remember at this point I started crying. I was absolutely terrified. Well, thank God, my mom and Joni rolled up and the boys ran to put the gun away. And Joni and my mom came in and started bringing groceries in. And I ran to my mom crying and grabbed her and hugged her and started telling her what had happened. And my mom called me a liar. And told me that I was a little liar and that that wasn't true, that Joni's boys would never do something like that. And why was I making up stories about them? And I was such a liar and blah, 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 blah. I don't even remember her exact words, but I just remember her calling me a liar and telling me that, you know, basically reprimanding me for lying and not telling the truth. And she did not believe me at all. And at that point right there is when I believe my mother mother labeled me a liar. And, oh my gosh, like, it hurt. Like, seriously, I wasn't believed, you know? And um, I was telling the 100% truth. And I learned very quickly, right then and there, you can't trust your mother. That was my first lesson of you cannot trust your mother. And there were multiple lessons that you cannot trust your mother. And like I said, I'm not saying this to shame my mother or humiliate her or embarrass her or complain about her. And I have forgiven her. I'm just um, trying to share the things that happened, the truth of what happened, um, to kind of give you a background and to maybe help. I know some of you can relate and um, maybe help you. And to share kind of what led up to my accepting living in abuse. So um, that was obviously pretty traumatic. I mean, I still remember it. And both of my parents um, got remarried to other people. Um, my mother married um, a man who was a security guard, I believe. And his best friends were sheriffs. And then my father um, married a lady who was, her parents were originally from Switzerland. So 
It was pretty cool. She spoke a foreign language. And I don't remember this, but my dad tells me that his new wife and I were pretty close in the beginning when they first got married. Um, and he has told me that he, um, and of course my parents had divorced, you know, um, but he, uh, he told me later that when he married my stepmom, that before he married her, he had spoken with her about me and basically told her and made sure that she would treat me as if I were her own child, which she agreed to. But then later when her own children were born, everything changed. And my father even admits that. And I can tell, um, you know, in, in not today, but like, um, last year we met for a dinner and I can tell that he regrets that decision. I, I can tell by the way he acts. So anyway, my parents both remarried. And like I said, it was good with my dad's new wife in the beginning. I don't remember, but my dad says it was. And I believe him. And my mother's new husband also drank a lot. <laughs> and... um. My, my dad drank a lot, too. Um, but my mother's hus new husband also drank a lot. And both of my parents um, had more children with their new spouses. So my dad and his new wife, my stepmother, they had a son and then they had a daughter. And so, obviously, I'm the only child from both my mother and my father. And um, then my mother had a daughter with her new husband. And sometimes I like to mess with people's minds and tell people my brother and my sister are three months apart. And they look at me like, wait, what? Um, but my brother is my father's son and my sister is my mother's daughter like they're not from the same two parents <laughs> but anyway um and people nowadays with all the divorce and and step parent families people get it almost immediately but when i was growing up the people were very confused because it was wasn't quite as commonplace for this situation it was it was getting there but it wasn't like it is today and um, over the years, um, my mother's new husband uh, was abusive. Both of her, I eventually discovered, um, but he was abusive of me, physically and emotionally. Um, his daughter, my sister, would do something wrong or misbehave, sometimes and often intentionally, and he would, quote-unquote, discipline me for what she had done wrong. And one time I confronted him and I said, why are you, you know, why are you spanking me? I didn't do anything wrong. Your daughter's the one who did something wrong. 
And he would say, because you're the oldest, you're supposed to set the example. And if she did something wrong, it's your fault because you didn't set the example. So right there, number one, scapegoat. <laughs> and my sister very quickly learned that she could pretty much get away with anything. And I would be the one punished, not her. And she would laugh about it. She would do it on purpose. She started doing things on purpose because she thought it was funny that I would get spanked for what she was doing wrong. And it wasn't just normal spanks. Um, my stepfather, even when I was a teenager, would force me to drop my drawers. In other words, pull down my pants and my underwear. Not just my pants. I had to have bare bottom. I had to be naked. And he would spank me either with his hand or with a belt and leave literally leave welts on my rear end. And I remember one time when I was, I believe I was about 13 years old and we were living with my mother's mother. And that was probably the worst beating he'd ever given me. And I call it beating now because I didn't realize it back then at the time, but that's what they were. They were beatings. Anytime you leave welts on someone's rear end, that's a beating. And I just, um, but my generation doesn't realize that. Like we thought we deserved it. Okay. Um, and I just had had it And my mother. Of course, I had been trying to tell her what he was doing to me behind her back, but she didn't believe me and called me a liar <laughs> again. And, um, I just had had it. And so my mother's mother was extremely staunch and I wasn't her favorite person. She really didn't like me at all. I don't know why because I have no idea why. But she was actually really mean to me a lot of times. There were some times where she was loving and kind, but most of the time she was just really mean to me. And ironically, she was a nurse. Anyway, um, but she was very mean to me and she was very staunch and very, um, I wouldn't, this is my mother's mother. I would not say classy, um, but I would say kind of, um, conservative, traditional, set in her ways. Um, what's the word? Like everything's prim and proper. Everything has to be just right. You act just right. You talk just right. Like, you don't do anything wrong with her. And I just had it. And, and she kind of was controlling. And I, um, I was so angry by my stepfather continually leaving welts on my bare bottom because of what my sister did wrong. And I just kind of snapped. And I went downstairs because the beating happened upstairs. There were three levels. And I went downstairs, which was the middle level, the ground level. And my grandmother and my mother were standing in the kitchen. And I turned around and I was so angry. At, I was feeling so angry at not only the way I was being treated, but nobody believed me about the way I was being treated. And I turned around, turned my back toward my mother and my grandmother, and I dropped my pants and my underwear. So they could see the welts that he was leaving on my behind. 
And I said, now do you believe me? To my grandmother's credit, she immediately took action. Um, so that was one thing that happened. Uh, with that same husband, which was my mother's second husband, um, I didn't know what was going on at first, but I quickly figured everything out. One night, it was at about 10 p.m., and my sister and I were in our bunk beds. I was on the top. She was on the bottom in our bedroom next to my mother and her husband's bedroom, my stepfather at the time, in my grandmother, my mother's mother's house still. And we the bedrooms were upstairs. And I was woken up by flashing red lights outside my bedroom window. And so I pulled open the curtains and peeked through the window, and I saw five sheriff cars with the red lights flashing in front of our home. They found out later that what had happened was that my mother's second husband had gotten drunk, they had gotten in an argument, and he had pulled a fully co loaded cocked gun to her head and held it to her head while they were arguing. And my grandmother had called, I don't know who she called, but the sheriffs, the cops, the police, somebody, she called someone, the law enforcement. Well, because my stepfather was a local like security guard and had a lot of sheriff buddies, these five sheriff cars came out and some of them at least were his buddies, were his friends. And I remember they all used to hang out at the bar together. And by the way, it was illegal for a minor to go to the bar, but he used to take me there all the time. But anyway, because they were buddies, these five sheriffs allowed my stepfather to drive away drunk from the home. Thankfully, he no longer lived with us. Um, I felt badly for my sister, but obviously, I'm sure you can understand why I was relieved that he no longer lived in the home with us. Um, meanwhile, my stepmother also had my brother and my sister, and they started growing up, and it was just a really awkward situation. And it was just little things at first with her, my stepmother, um, my dad's new wife. And um, one of those little things was that I got displaced from my bedroom when her children were born. And they had bought a farmhouse. And I remember always being very cold in the farmhouse. Like they wouldn't have much heat. I don't know why, but she would be like, you're fine. You, you can just put a sweater on or you could put a blanket around you, wrap a blanket around you. Like it was just freezing to the point where I was shivering all the time. I hated being in that farmhouse because it was always so cold, just a minor detail. But it was little things like I got displaced from my bedroom when her kids were born. And there were two bedrooms upstairs and one bedroom downstairs. And then my dad turned the fourth bedroom into his den or work study, but he called it a den. And so I had one of those bedrooms upstairs until her children were born. 
And then they moved me to the attic and they put my brother in one bedroom upstairs and my sister in the other bedroom upstairs. And I was the oldest. And this was like for when I was visiting and stuff. And um, they converted the attic into my bedroom. And so basically they just slapped a dresser, a bed, and a lamp in there. And that was my bedroom. <laughs> and, um, and then there were like these little white kind of closet things in the bedroom, in the attic, which they converted to a bedroom for me. But I had no privacy at all whatsoever because I had to walk through my sister's bedroom to get to my room, to get to the attic. And a lot of times I was just trapped in there because my sister would be sleeping or whatever. I couldn't walk through because I would wake her up. I couldn't get to the bathroom. The bathroom was clear downstairs. I mean, it was just really inconvenient, honestly. But I was just like kind of guilting myself into you just need to be grateful that they gave you a place to stay at all. Like, you don't even deserve a place to stay is kind of how I felt. And it's kind of how I self-talked, you know, because that's kind of how I started being treated by her. And I just got kind of pushed to the side. And it was made very clear by those actions that I wasn't as important as her children, you know. And I never really thought about it that or analyzed that for, you know, a really long time until I became an adult. And I was like, wow, they... I really got displaced. Like, they made it very clear that, well, she did, and my dad didn't stop her from that, even though he defended me to her and many other things to the point where I felt like I was just coming between them quite often, actually. But she made it very clear that I was not important, and especially that her own children were much more important. And that was kind of a pattern with her over the years. And like little things that, you know, seemingly little things are big things to me. Um, I am pretty laid back about most things most of the time. There's certain things I get upset about, but very little. Um, and it's really hard for me to be upset or angry, especially. But once I'm upset or angry look out, it's not good. And so I'm not proud of that. And I've been working on that pretty much all my life. Um, so, and I remember, well, no, that was later. Never mind. <laughs> so anyway, um, I was also frustrated with my mother because we would move, excuse me, we would move homes or residences or where we lived a minimum of every six months. And I'm sure you can imagine it's hard to establish a home or have a feeling of home when you're con constantly moving. I just took a water, drink of water and gave myself hiccups. So <laughs> excuse me <laughs> one second. Okay. My apologies. I pushed pause to Oop, nope, they didn't go away. Well, we're going to try to get through this in spite of the hiccups. So if I pause occasionally, like just now, it's probably a hiccup.
and I apologize <gasps> for the unprofessional sound. Um, I guess you know how human I am, don't you? <laughs> Thankfully, they're not painful hiccups. Hiccups are just so annoying, aren't they? Like, who wants hiccups? I don't even know how or why I got the hiccups. I tried hold holding my breath. I tried burping. I tried drinking more water. Nothing's helping right now. So I guess we're just going to have to wait, wait this one out. <laughs> so annoying. Um, so I'm trying to figure out where I was. Um, because I kind of interrupted myself when I got the hiccups here. Uh, so anyway, you know, my parents divorced when I was five, just to recap briefly, they both remarried. They both had start having more children. And obviously I am now the only child from my mother and my father. The, my siblings are all either just my father's children or just my mother's children. Right. Um, so right now I, I have one sister on my mom's side and I have one brother and one sister on my dad's side. And like I said, um, my first stepfather from my mother's second marriage was physically and emotionally abusive of me. It used to punish me for the things my sister did wrong, would do wrong. And my, my father, father's second wife, my stepmother, um, she uh, kind of displaced me from the importance in their lives once her own children um, started being born. So that's kind of a recap of what I've shared with you so far. So, excuse me. Um, and I started sharing how my mother would move us, move our homes a minimum of every six months. And it was just really hard <laughs> to constantly be moving around and live that kind of lifestyle. And I felt like there was no stability, no security in my life. And my parents, I began hating Christmas. And to this day, I still kind of hate Christmas for various reasons. But the biggest one, not Christmas itself, but kind of the whole what the holiday represents. Because for me, Christmas always meant my parents were going to start fighting with each other over who got to see me, when, for how long, the child support. I, I mean, it, just, it was just a bunch of arguing every Christmas. And so I started to hate, hate Christmas. Excuse me. So I started to hate Christmas. And I kind of have hated the whole Christmas season ever since. For me, Christmas is, you know, not a happy time. It's a reminder of all the arguing between my parents and you know, I was a child, and of course, it made me feel like it was all my fault, even though it wasn't, you know? I I had nothing to do with them getting divorced, but when you're a child, you blame yourself. You think, you hear your parents ar arguing over you, and you think, it's my fault. Mm. Taking a sip of water. And um, so, uh, I just started hating Christmas. And so um, my father, I believe, would get me two weeks in the summer and then every other weekend throughout the year. And the 
rest of the time I was living with my mother court ordered and there was a divorce decree and everything. Um, so then, you know, uh, both sides of my family were very, very different in very many ways. Um, my mother was always struggling financially. Um, she was always complaining about my father and bad mouthing him. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I'm not in her shoes. I don't know what she went through, so I can't judge her. I'm just saying it again from my perspective. But my mother was constantly complaining about my father, bad mouthing him, complaining that he's late on the child's child support again, or he didn't pay the child support. And she would use me to try to manipulate him into things like paying the child support on time. And I was very aware of it because she wasn't quiet about it at all. Um, but my, my family sides were very, very different. My mother is an extremely emotional person. <laughs> That's a huge understatement. And I grew up in a home with her where she was constantly screaming at the top of her lungs, cussing like a sailor. Um, she would shop all the time. And instead of paying bills, she would go to Kmart and buy herself a bunch of jewelry and then not be able to pay the bills and say she deserved it because she hadn't spent, <gasps> excuse me, money in a long time and just like crazy things to me, you know, I think that's part of why I'm so frugal today is because I rarely spend money on myself because of that. Like I saw her do that. I saw her just waste money. And I used to get so frustrated with her. I remember about that. I remember one time she got her paycheck and she came home and she'd gone to Kmart and bought herself a bunch of jewelry. And I said, hey, mom. She's like, yeah. I said, where's your paycheck? Oh, well, I I got some jewel. I got some things I needed. And I said, oh, yeah, show me. She showed me jewelry. And I'm like, did you pay the bills? Well, no. But you bought jewelry? Yeah. Can you pay the bills? Well, not right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, who does that? Like, I don't, like, it just wasn't very wise financially or financially responsible, especially with, when you have children that you're trying to take care of. And then she would complain about my dad because he wasn't paying the child support. So whatever. I mean, I wasn't, I don't know the full story. I just know what I saw. And obviously I was a child. And I remember one time I was like, what's for dinner? Oh, there's a box of snack crackers in the closet. Go get that. Wait, what? You want me to eat a box of crackers for dinner? Yeah. Did you not buy groceries? No, I couldn't afford it. You couldn't afford groceries, Mom? Yeah, no. All we have is snack crackers. Okay. I mean, this was the gist of the way our conversations would go. I was basically the adult in the home, you know? And I feel for my mom because obviously... She was a single mom trying to support two kids on her own. And now that I've been a single mom, I can relate to how a lot of that feels. But, like, I'm not perfect, but I always tried to make sure my kids came first. And, uh, you know, they, they, to my, they never were starving for a meal. They always had food. And um, I remember 
I was really super thin when I was young. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, all we have to eat again is a box of crackers. That's it. Like, what if I die? You know, but of course I didn't die. But, um, you know, I, I was being a little bit dramatic, I'm sure. But like, we didn't have proper meals sometimes. And I remember that time she's like, no, eat a box of crack pack, uh, snack crackers. And, and I found out again, she had blown her paycheck on herself with unnecessary stuff like jewelry or something like that. Just so completely financially irresponsible. And I realized I couldn't depend on her to provide financially. And she was just horrible at budgeting money. Like, I don't think she even realized what a budget was back then, you know? So I was dealing with that on my mom's side of the family, living with her. And also, since I was seven years older than my sister, I was, and my mom was a single mom, I was often forced to babysit. And I, I didn't get anything for it. I was just expected to do it because I was the older sibling, which I know there are a lot of families like that. And you know, we're families. We all need to help out. That's fine. But I base, I basically grew up taking care of my sister and my mom. I mean, I kind of became the parent in the home. And like I said, my mom was constantly screaming and cussing. And I felt like I could never do anything right. If I made the least little mistake, she was screaming and cuss, cussing at me, screaming and cussing at me. And, you know, there was a ton of pressure on me to kind of be the parent in that home. And I remember I would parent my mom a lot, like not just about finances, but like one thing was finances. And I would say, well, mom, don't, don't you think you should pay the bills first? Don't you think you should pay the bills first? I'm repeating things when I hiccup because it gets interrupted, <laughs> but I'd be, don't you think you should pay the bills first? You know? And Oh no, we'll, we're fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. I don't even know what to say, but I feel like she took a lot of her frustrations out on me because I was the oldest and I was there, you know, and I get that. I understand that, but it came to a point where I felt like I could do nothing right. And by the time I turned 15, I just was thoroughly fed up with how she treated me and meaning constantly screaming and cussing at me, yelling at me when I would do the least little thing wrong. I mean, she would say she loves me and she would hug me and be affectionate, but she screamed a, a lot. Even as an adult, one time I went to visit her and she wanted to give me a massage, which is kind of her, but I was super tense because I'm around my mom who just screams and cusses all the time when I'm growing up, you know? So even as an adult one time, we went to visit her and she's giving me as a massage and I'm, and she goes, relax, Gwenna. And she screams at me at the top of her lungs, relax. Like that's going to make me relax. But, but it was my mother screaming and cussing. And I immediately knew I had to do what she said or else, you know, <laughs> and that was just kind of how it was with her. And then with my mother's side of the family, you know, they say, I love you every time you talk, every time you talk on the phone every time you see each other, every time you, you leave each, before you leave each other. And if you don't say you love each other, they think, oh, don't you love me anymore? Like, just like, I don't know. It almost comes across like, like completely insecure almost, but you always say you love, you know, I love you. And if you don't, 
then there, why aren't you doing it? Why, why aren't you saying you love me? Like, why aren't you saying that? And, but, you know, you, you could say whatever you wanted, but you never, better lay, better never lay a hand on another person. That's how I was raised in my mom's home. And she was very poor, obviously. So we were very poor. So even in school, even in school and high school and everything, I was used to kind of being the scum of the earth. Not that I was, but like, that's how I was seen because we didn't have nice clothes. I didn't have the best haircuts. You, you know, we didn't have money. And um, so I was used to being considered poor and, you know, um, in height. In high school, you know how people have their cliques. There's the jock clique and the cheerleader clique and the this, you know, the drugs clique and whatever, all these cliques. I mean, I was always consider considered part of the poor clique living with my mother. And then on my dad's side of the family, it was completely different. Like, they weren't rich by in any means. <sighs> Stupid hiccups. They weren't rich by any means, but they certainly weren't anywhere near as poor as my mother. And my stepmother worked three jobs. So she brought in some money. Um, I later found out that she had saved up money all that time to leave and divorce my father. But that's another story for later. So anyway, living with my father and my stepmother was a completely different story. Like I said, um, he got me two weeks every summer and then every other weekend uh, during the rest of this year. And I cherished my times seeing my father and riding in the car with him <gasps> um, from my mom's place to his place because it was usually about an hour drive. And so even in the winter when it was freezing cold, I cherished those times because um, he had a car that didn't have any heater <laughs> And so he would bring blankets so I could cover up because I was so cold. But we would sit there in the car and we would sing. We would sing songs and we would sing lots of Christmas carols, even when it wasn't Christmas. And so that's just kind of like a treasured memory I have with my father because I didn't see him very often, you know. And when I was little, obviously, you know, I was told and I can see in the pictures I was his little girl. But of course, now he has two other children and he has another little girl and that's with his new wife. So he kind of, I think, bonded with my younger sister um, a lot more than he did me. And then my father was a businessman, a, tra a traveling business, a traveling salesman. Um, so he was like, he used to work with like companies that worked with Atari and things. Oh, I'm running out of time, so I guess I'm going to have to do a part two. It's warning me that the maximum recording time for segments is 60 minutes, and it's 55 minutes, a little more than 55 minutes right now. So I guess I'm going to have to start there with my father's side of the family in part two. So I hope you'll keep listening. I'm not sure what the title's going to be yet, and I will um talk with you again in just a moment. Please come back because there's a lot more to this story and it's going to get really interesting. See you or see you soon. I won't see you soon, 
but be right back. 